What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita, back here now on Tuesday, January 12th, 2021. I accidentally thought I was in the year 2011 yesterday, but uh, that's the kind of year it is already. But hey, here we are, got the date right. Day after the college football national championship game. We've got plenty to discuss with that game. I'm glad to have Andrew Stem back with me once again. He joined me last week, and so here he is. We also, by the way, before I guess before I bring him on, I should say I talked. I spoke with Tyree Thomas yesterday, recapping all of the NFL from the weekend. So if you're interested in that, you can go back and check that out. It's Valpo week on the podcast. I got Andrew Stem with me. In a second, Jordan Morandini going live with me on Thursday afternoon. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks, Jack. It's good to be here again. I wish uh, we had a little bit more of an exciting game to talk about. For about <laughs> a quarter and a half, it looked like it was going to be the game that everybody thought it was going to be. And then, you know, Alabama held Ohio State to that field goal after they'd gone ahead 21-14, and it was 21-17, and then... You know, Bama just took over, man. They're they're so good. Yeah, they are very good. And this is now Saban's sixth national title in about, uh, I believe that was 13 years, 12 years. Yeah, what he's what he's done is is remarkable in in any era of college football, but especially I feel like in this this day and age. And I'd seen a statistic. I saw a statistic today, actually. Uh, floating around that since he'd been at Bama, it, every player who had stayed three years had won a national championship. <laughs> it, in some way, form, like there were a couple who'd won right when he got there, and there were some who had to wait until they were juniors or uh, juniors to do it. But every player who's been recruited by Nick Saban to Alabama, if they'd stayed at Alabama and stayed for three years, has won a national title, which is mind-boggling. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Devontae Smith being a really good example of someone who got two. He had that uh, big touchdown back three years ago with Tua and yesterday his uh, senior year. Now, 215 yards, three touchdowns, 12 catches. Uh, I think you and I were right for picking him to win the Heisman. Yeah, yeah, we, it was it was nice to see that. Uh... After that discussion, that he went out and won the award, and man, in one half of football, it's it's just unfair the the skills that he has, and you know a lot of credit to Steve Sarkeesian for motion and getting the movement and getting the matchups he wanted. You know that last touchdown of the first half that he had, where they got him matched up. I think it was on Pete Warner, but it might have been oh, or it was either Warner or Tuff Borland. I can't remember which linebacker for Ohio State it is, but you get. Devonta Smith going up against a linebacker, and that's a matchup you will take uh, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah, he was unbelievable, and I think that was really the showcase game for him with the whole country watching. It's kind of unfortunate that this national championship and the college football playoff is really... I know so many people, Andrew, who are not college football fans they're much bigger into the NFL and they just watch the college football playoff and that's kind of their consumption and when we have all these blowouts it prevents them from really getting into it and being more attracted to the sport 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's partially inclusion as well. I don't want to harp too much on this because I know yeah. we've done this on our last episode, but right. last time we chatted together, but it's, it, it's the predominantly the same, you know, three of the four teams have been the same six of the seven years where the college football playoff has happened. Um, and, I, you know, that monotony gets to some people like it's it's really hard if you're a fan of, say, a Pac-12 team or something along yeah. those lines. Like, where's the buy in? Whereas I feel like at the end of the NCAA basketball tournament, like it's been the culmination of this big thing. And if you've watched it all the way through, you want to watch the final game, even if, you know, your team didn't make the tournament, even if they lost in the first round, if they lost in the final four, whatever it is, or if they're playing for the national title, there's just kind of this sense of you want to watch this thing all the way through and um you know between blowouts and it being the same kind of teams over and over all the time that um i assume that college football numbers aren't as good as the powers that be would want them to be right yeah and i think another thing as you mentioned there are a lot of people who like to argue and say well if you include some new teams it won't change the outcome Absolutely, 100%. Alabama, I think, was going to win against anybody this year. They would have. They were the best team. By it didn't really look close between team number two. They blew out everybody. The only relatively close game was that Florida game and the SEC title game. But I think the thing is, is that with college basketball, as you mentioned, we're not. We're looking more at the journey with it. A lot of the times, we're looking at one shining moment and. Just a team getting the Sweet 16 for the first time in program history is something to be celebrated. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a, you know, it's just a, a sense of wanting to keep these things, you know, freshen it up and give teams new chances. And, but yeah, you're right. I mean, to to go back and touch on Bama's greatness. I mean, I, this note yeah. that today I saw, they won 13 games. Um, and beat their 13 opponents by an average score of 49 to 19. Those would be 11 SEC opponents. Um, now, you know, you may not take stock outside of Alabama whether the SEC was really that great this year, but I think Georgia was Georgia was decent. Florida was good. Um, you know, Texas A&M. And then uh, they beat Florida in the SEC title game, and then Notre Dame and Ohio State. And they beat those... 13 opponents combined average 49 to 19. That's just unbelievable. You know, people were, people were floating around today that this might be the greatest college football team of this era. And I, I think that's certainly debatable. Yeah. Uh, you certainly would put them up against anybody, man. That offense, just weapons from, from everywhere. And then when Smith gets hurt and even Waddle was down, they had, or wasn't playing quite as much. They had other guys. And then they take, um, Najee Harris out and uh, Brian Robinson comes in and it just it just keeps coming and coming and coming just so much offensive yeah. talent and the crazy thing is they you know after kind of that midway point of the second quarter they really shut down Ohio State's offense except for that one quick drive Ohio State had in the third quarter where they got it back to within uh, 14 and they got it to 38 uh, 24 because I, I, it was like three or four plays, and it only took them a minute to score a touchdown after Bama had taken up most of the first half of the third quarter and kicked that field goal. Um, 
like other than that, and I don't know if Justin Fields was hurt. Um, I mean, something I felt sort of looked off with him. Yeah. I don't know if you know feeling the effects of that injury and it kind of played through the the pain against Clemson or, or what it was. But I mean, credit to the Bama defense because they made just made him look uncomfortable. And you know, I think Trey Sermon getting hurt hurt a little bit too. But Master Teague is no slouch and. Yeah, Ohio State just couldn't do what they wanted to do offensively. Like they could, they could do whatever they wanted against Clemson in that semifinal. Like they, they wanted to run, they could run. They wanted to pass, they could pass. They could make it happen, and they, they couldn't do that against. They couldn't do that against Alabama, and conversely, you know, Bama could get anything they wanted. Six hundred fifty-one yards of total offense against what was, you know, the second or third best team in the country. That's insane. Yeah, a week ago we were talking about Justin Fields having a Vince Young Superman type of performance uh, just a week ago. And yesterday, 17-33 for 194 yards, one touchdown. Just didn't look the same. I do think he looked, he did look injured. He didn't look like he was playing at 100%. And he did lose Sermon. I'm curious, though, in terms of draft, because... We mentioned the people that you can sort of tell if you're looking through Twitter or social media who some of the people are that maybe they don't watch as much college football and they come in for these big events and then they leave disappointed. The way to find them is if they had a name tag, they're probably the ones that a week ago said, oh, maybe the Jaguars want to take Justin Fields. And uh, (laughs) I think that uh, chatter uh, died off very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think last night brought, uh, cemented Trevor Lawrence as the the number one overall pick. But um, I mean, certainly nothing to take away from the the year that that Justin Fields had. But um, you know, it's going to be interesting, and I, I, we may talk about this a little bit. Yeah, let's do um, it. Or as, or, as, or as we get closer, uh, I know you were pining last night on Twitter for uh, Smith to go number three to the Dolphins. Yes. Yes. Uh, as some as a fan of a team who's going to pick seventh, I certainly hope you're wrong about that. <laughs> I think he's the kind of guy that you could build an offense around. Uh, although uh, the Falcons have had pretty good success with drafting Alabama wide receivers uh, with Julio and Calvin Ridley, so there's a lot of scuttlebutt that he may not get past four. I think that's where the Falcons are. At four, yeah. Wherever the Falcons are drafting, um, I mean they've had a lot of success drafting Alabama wide receivers, so that that may be where it goes, but. Uh, not that he wasn't already, but uh, you know, you talked about kind of his showcase game and Devontae Smith. He made himself a lot of money last night. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so it's interesting to think about. Trevor is essentially a lock at number one. The Jets are at two, and there isn't a certainty that they are going to go quarterback. They could go with Sewell if they want a lineman. Maybe they want to get mm-hmm. another coach in there with Darnold. But it does sort of feel like when you bring in a new coach maybe you draft a new quarterback at that time. So they could really do anything. I can't really see Smith going two to the Jets. It just doesn't feel like that would be the move. I think you either go left tackle uh, to protect your quarterback or you draft that quarterback. They're going to have an interesting decision because their Sewell, they could go with really Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be... You know, a lot of it will depend on who they end up hiring as, as coach, as you mentioned. Um, but it, it'll be 
it's it's kind of nice. I feel like I feel like it, the the past couple of drafts, it's always kind of been, you know, the first two, three, four picks were already kind of kind of set in stone. Yeah, I feel like beyond Jacksonville taking Trevor Lawrence, there there are a lot of questions and um, you know maybe a little bit of uncertainty, and that'll make the draft a little bit more entertaining to watch. Yeah, so I was I was really thinking over the last twenty four hours, Devontae Smith reuniting with Tua in Miami. And I was greeted. There's some folks, Andrew, that really think the Dolphins might just dump Tua after a year. I think that's highly unlikely. Man, I don't like that's such a like I know teams have done that, like uh you know, with Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen, and, but it was it was totally different because they had different front office, different coach. Yeah, Miami's so, not getting rid of anyone. They loved this guy a year ago. I think they still like him now. I mean, you you feel like that would be such a a knee jerk reaction to. Yeah. I mean, two is a really good player. Conversely, I mean. NFL rookie quarterbacks very rarely come in and set the world on fire. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's a question of what you expected. Like he got, you know, a, a taste of experience. And I feel like if he struggles again next year, then, you know, maybe you start to have some questions as an organization. But, like, it would be pretty crazy to dump him after a year with, with the money you put into it and, and all that stuff. No preseason this year. Yeah, it's not like he forgot how to play football. Yeah, but there's, you know, there's a a learning curve once you get into the NFL. Even playing at Alabama, and you know, this every so often, you know, when the Browns were were winless or when the Lions were winless, there's always the question of, you know, could the could the best college team beat the worst NFL team? And (laughs) I think that is absolutely not anywhere close to being possible even <laughs> for as many nfl athletes as a team like alabama is going to have that was on that team last night like there is such a difference between yeah. college players and nfl players so it's there's a little bit of a learning curve and um like i said i would be disappointed as a lions fan if smith went three to the dolphins uh only because i am secretly hoping that they could draft him at seven but <laughs> to be perfectly honest it would be I think that would be a pretty good move for the Dolphins. You know, it, it would certainly help Tua, you know, somebody he has a connection with in the comfort zone already. I imagine it would make Smith's transition to the NFL a little bit easier too. So I think that's certainly a direction that you could see Miami go. Absolutely. I mean, two years ago, people wanted Josh Allen out of the league in terms of these knee-jerk reactions, and now he's going to get MVP votes. And I see a little bit of Aaron Rodgers in – Josh Allen, that guy is a really good football player. You can't just throw away Tua this quickly. The other thing about Devontae Smith is that I just love about him is the guy, there's so many of these receivers that create drama. Uh, Watching the Steelers lately, it's just been a mess with these guys going on TikTok and just painting a target on the back of the Steelers, talking trash and then you saw DK Metcalf over the weekend where he was unhappy that he wasn't getting the rock. And Devontae Smith is not like one of those guys. He's an, a, an outstanding hard worker who doesn't seem like he's in it for the accolades. He just wants to win. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was a, uh, I can't remember 
I think the quote was to uh, attribute to Walter Payton, which would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But somebody, you know, posted this last night about, you know, when you're good, you have to you have to tell people that you're good. When you're great, people tell you how good you are, and uh, that was that that was certainly something that seemed pretty apt with with Smith and the the you know the between the accolades that that people were laying on him, like uh, Devontae Adams was saying, you know, if people spell my name wrong i hope they spell it the way he spells it so at least can be compared to him and things of that nature but um you know he just very quietly and goes about his business and does whatever he can to help his team win and boy he uh he sure looked a part of an nfl wide receiver last night because uh you know sean wade and i know they weren't always singled up but sean wade is going to be a good nfl quarterback cornerback for a long time and uh Smith did what did whatever he wanted. The the precision of running routes, the the hands, the the skills to get the the toes in, the feet in, all that good stuff. The the closing speed. He's he's you've got it all, man. Oh yeah. And so one last thing in terms of draft is let's just say hypothetically Smith goes to three, and the Jets don't go for Justin Fields. Whether they they go in the Zach Wilson direction, or maybe they draft Sewell. Let's just say, if you want to talk about fun landing spots, how about Justin Fields going four as a Georgia native in uh, and staying in Atlanta, learning behind Matt Ryan for a year? Yeah. I mean, that'd be I think that'd be a, an ideal landing spot for him, certainly. And I feel like I don't know, um, you know, the New York media can be. And, you know, not to say that Fields couldn't handle it. Certainly he's a, a guy who started in the SEC and then played at Ohio State. Like, like he can handle the, the big media spots. But maybe getting a chance to be a, a hometown type guy where there might be a little bit less pressure yeah. uh, on him, especially if, you know, he's going to be behind Matt Ryan. Because if if he's drafted by the Jets, he's, you know, he's coming in to be the guy. Um, so there's a little bit more pressure there to be the guy, whereas, you know, you learn and, you know, kind of, you talked about Rogers and kind of what Rogers did under, you know, Favre initially that you, you know, you use some of that pressure off and get a chance to get acclimated and, and learn from a guy who's really good. And that could be really beneficial for him. Personally, I would not want to ever play for, it's not, it's not the Jets organization. I just would not want to play in New York city. I, I, I would be the type of guy that would be much happier, less coverage, less attention, less pressure. Just kind of let me be, live my life. You know, San Diego, Atlanta, something a little smaller, but also the warmer weather. And you know, there are a lot. Of, a lot of people want to move down south right now. There, there are a lot of benefits to it. Yep, yep, for sure. So, yeah, well, it'll be. Uh, certainly fun to watch how all this kind of plays out and, and shakes out over the, the next few months. Absolutely. You mentioned the conversation about this potentially being the best team in college football history. The two that I just, I get, I get, I'll give you one, I guess. The one that really jumps out at me as from my lifetime in this new millennium 2008 Florida Gators, even though they lost a game, that was the type of offense where it was so electric, it was so good, and they had one of the best college football players of all time on that team. 
but also Alabama did too. Uh, man, it kind of surprised me uh, when you started prefacing that. I assumed you were going to go with the 06 Texas team. Oh, yeah, that's another one. That is another one for sure. Because everybody, everybody was talking about how great that USC team was, and then Vince Young, Texas, beat USC in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, it, it's and, – and, you know, you, even though the, the game was kind of the same, I feel like you look at 12 years ago and it, you could probably just call it a different era, really, if you wanted to. Um, yeah. But certainly, uh, you know, that, that Florida team was really good. Uh, they had a lot, of, a lot of talented players and, you know, helmed by – uh, Tim Tebow, as you mentioned, and um, you know, there have been some some really really good teams. Like I don't know, I mean, depending on who we, you know, what happens, we may look back at the last year's LSU team. You know, yes, ten years from now and be like, man, that team was really good. So I, I don't know if it's one of those things we just want to get caught up in the moment and yeah. or whatever. But at, at the same time, man, just beating thirteen opponents by an average of thirty points, and they didn't get. You know, I mean, I know they're you know a team like Vanderbilt and, and whatever else. Maybe there's some of the SEC was down, but you know they didn't they didn't have a, a non conference game against Western Carolina or Citadel or somebody like that. This was yeah teams against 13 FBS opponents, and the average margin was 30 points. That's just ins- unbelievable, insane. The other one, I think. Yeah, there were those USC teams, 2001 Miami Hurricanes in terms of NFL talent. Yeah. When they had in their backfield, they had uh, Frank Gore, Clinton Portis, and Willis McGahee all at the same time. And I think Najee Davenport, too. Yeah. And uh, um, Sean Taylor. and I'm trying to think uh, of the tight end. Uh, oh, yeah. Winslow. Kellen Winslow Jr. Yep. He was on that team. Man, that, those guys, Larry Coker, those guys were so good. They were so good. It's 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 fun to be able to have discussions like this and just kind of reminisce about man, all those guys were on that same team. Yeah, and Ed Reed, and they had, uh, I mean, they had some really good linemen. I'm not going to remember the names of the linemen, but they had uh, those linebackers too, with Jonathan Vilma, yep. and yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> Santana Moss was there too, I think. Then, yeah, man, it, it kind of makes me sad to think about how long ago that was. <laughs> more, more so because it makes me feel old than anything else. <laughs> well, thinking back to this college football season, what are the let's do let's do this as an exercise. We'll go one at a time. We can go back and forth. Give me one of your highlights for this season. Um. Like a specific game, or just like an, an overall kind of, kind of theme story, something like that. Story, game, theme—you know, stuff that's going to stick out that you'll remember about this year. I think it was, you know, in the Power Five leagues, at least a couple of them. I'm I'm thinking of the the Big Ten and the Big Twelve, and I know Indiana didn't quite get to the mountaintop, and uh, Northwestern has been good for a while but i think it was good to see you know some non i guess for lack of better phrasing brand name programs in some of those power five leagues uh you know to see indiana have a really good season to see northwestern play well again um to see iowa state you know play for a 
a Big 12 title, which ultimately they didn't win. But, um, you, you know, to see some of that and to have it not just be the, the usual suspects again, and, and even North Carolina at ACC, in the ACC, right? Yeah. If, if um, you know, if Notre Dame, if the season had been a little bit different and Notre Dame hadn't joined the ACC, I mean, it could very well have been Clemson and North Carolina playing for the ACC. Oh, title. wow, yeah. So, um, you know, to see some some – unfamiliar faces in in power five leagues was was good and entertaining i agree yeah and i'll go off of that and i'll talk about the as i would have brought that up myself i'll i'll mention a couple others um a&m another one in terms of we haven't seen a&m knocking on the door of the playoff at least i guess they had the manzel years but it never felt like they were close yeah yeah absolutely and uh i was trying to think i mean you know, and it's weird to say this because of kind of their history, but even USC, yeah. which I know is a brand new, this, this kind of changes. But I mean, they've been down, you know, not since Pete Carroll, um, you know, left. Like they haven't been as good. And like they had built, a, you know, Clay Helton built a pretty good team this year. They ultimately ended up, you know, losing to Oregon, but it's kind of seeing them have a resurgence and, you know, things of that nature that was there there were some others i'm glad you brought up usc that was actually on my list was those six weeks and it's a it's a shame that this season had to be shortened i'm so glad i should say before i even get into usc the fact that this season happened in general when this thing was so dead like in late august for the big 10 and they weren't gonna play they canceled it there were so many questions up in the air and i think these kids did just such a remarkable job of being responsible and you know some of them fought really hard justin fields trevor lawrence were creating petitions and social media campaigns to try to get this season going the fact that we got a season and really didn't have any major problems to my knowledge that is that probably be the story, I guess, when we think about this season 20 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that the, the fact that the season got played is, as you said, a testament to a lot of people, um, you know, and, and flexibility on the part of, of players and coaches and athletic directors and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, some games were postponed, some games were canceled, but, uh, to get it all the way through, I think, uh, that's what everybody wanted, and I think it's it's a credit to to them. And um, you know, it, hopefully, we can get to a point here as a society by yeah. August where we can you know, fans in the stands and uh, yeah, everything will be good and it'll feel a little bit more like normal. But it was good to have the whole thing happen because, like you said, it was it certainly seemed like it wasn't going to. And I feel like we'll end up talking the same way, probably about the NCAA tournament here in a few months. It won't feel yeah. exactly the same. It won't look exactly the same, but a champion will be crowned and we'll be, we'll be glad to have to, to have that happen. So, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, another kind of story here is that, uh, you know, the riot, we talked about unsuspecting programs in the, in the power yeah. five, but I think some of the other ones, yeah, wait one sec. I was going to bring those up in a second. I want to go back to USC real quick. Okay. USC, for those six games, every single one of those games was really dang fun. It was like the the cardiac kids, 
every single game, they, they'd be down in the fourth quarter and they made things so interesting. And when USC football is interesting, it's great for the sport, especially when there isn't a whole lot of uh, firepower coming out of the Pac-12. Yeah, they, had a, they had a couple of games. The the win win percentage chart. Uh, I don't know what the or expected win percentage or or whatever win probability That's or whatever that is. They, they, their win probability graphs of their games were decidedly entertaining. I mean, there were a couple where they were you know ninety nine point seven percent to lose and scored two touchdowns in the last three minutes and came back. It was it was never boring with the Trojans. It was never boring, and I'm excited to watch them next year. A full season, hopefully. Keaton Slovis, it, that was a fun team, I, and they were, they were a good story. Andrew, tell me about some of these teams that were the group of five schools that had monumental seasons. I mean, I just kind of wonder how many people outside of Conway, South Carolina, would tell you that they saw Coastal Carolina's season coming. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, Coastal was good. Um, you know, Louisiana Lafayette was good. Yep. Uh, I mean, the Sun Belt went three and zero against the the Big Twelve. Yep. Um, in those those opening weeks, and you know, I think Appalachian State has kind of been thought to be like they've been good and they've won the Sun Belt a couple of times. So maybe they weren't quite so surprising. But you know, even Cincinnati was better than I think we felt like BYU. I don't think a lot of people saw coming, at least to the the extent that that they did. Um, you know, Army had a down year last year, and then they had a pretty good season. We talked about their game against West Virginia in the Liberty Bowl. Uh, Liberty themselves, they, they finished in the top 25, or, or will, I guess. I don't know if the, the final AP poll is out yet. But, um, you know, just it's seeing teams that you, you know, don't usually expect. I mean, Buffalo um, with Jarrett Patterson, they were really good. And then Ball State, San Jose State won the Mountain West. Um so some of those some of those non-name brand programs in the in the group of five as well and the independents it was uh, nice to see that too. Absolutely, yeah. Cincinnati actually didn't shock me this year. I saw a good amount of them last year, and you could tell this team was coming up, and we were due for a team out of the American to put together a season that generates a conversation for the playoff and they should be really good again next year. Desmond Ritter's coming back. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Fourth year. It'll be his fourth year as a starter. And he, uh, he really, he matured into that role really well this year. So they'll be, they will be fun to watch again next year. In terms of games from this year, I got three games and I got a bowl game. I guess we talked about the bowl game, which was the cure bowl. But uh, what about, give me off the top of your head, Give me a game this year that stuck out to you that you really enjoyed. That was a great game. Uh, you know, I, I thought this, this is probably taking the easy way out considering <laughs> it's a pair of top five teams on a you know a nationally televised night game. But yep. for just the, the overall enjoyment, Clemson and Notre Dame in South Bend was a really, really entertaining game. You know, watching those teams go back and forth and, and go into overtime and DJ Ugalele uh, coming in and, and subbing for Trevor Lawrence and it seemed like the Clemson offense didn't really skip a beat and then uh, but Ian Book, you know, Notre Dame they matched some touchdown for touchdown and then got that win in overtime and um, certainly one of the games I'll remember from this year. 
Yep, that was on my list. Uh, I think it was for everyone. That was a great game. And, you know, it turned out being good that Trevor didn't play for a little bit because if Trevor plays, we probably don't have that great of a game. So it was it was great for what it was. Yeah. Um, my next one, I got one here. I'll give okay. you one. Uh, the Red River Showdown this year was a great game. Yeah, it was. That was... You know, that's, that's, there's always a, a sense of, you know, this game's going to be good, but, you know, people weren't sure. Oklahoma was kind of reeling a little bit after their, their slow start to the year, and uh, it, it lived up to, to its billing. You got any others? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, BYU Coastal would be my personal favorite of the year. That was. <laughs> BYU Coastal was a, was a phenomenal game. Um, Indiana, Ohio State was yeah. a, a good one as well. Um, you know, Indiana, you, uh, Penn State was a good one too. Indiana, Penn State, the yeah, the, to open the year, um, to open the Big Ten season anyway. It was near the end of October when it happened. Um, that was the last time I was inside of a restaurant. Was uh-huh. <laughs> then everything got closed back down shortly after that. So gotcha. uh, that that was a fun day. The Big Ten kickoff day. That was that was a good day. Um, let's see, I'm thinking of, I mean, you could probably swap in any of the games USC played. Uh, I think, yeah. uh, their, their comeback against Arizona state is Arizona state the oh one my that gosh. sticks out more than others. Um, you know, with the two touchdowns in the last three and a half minutes. Um, let's see. Florida LSU was, yeah. you know, as much as the surprising result, the, the shoe throw, kind of everything that, that sort of happened there. Trying to remember. I think Iowa State, Oklahoma the first time was a pretty fun game. Yes. Both those games were good. Yep. So it's, it's, you know, there were definitely some good ones. There were, you know, some that, I mean, I felt like might have been a a touch disappointing, um, you know, for for sort of the buildup. Like I remember everybody being really excited about Alabama, Georgia. And then, as as we discovered, Alabama's. (laughs) got more horse than everybody else this year so in retrospect i think that was like a three touchdown game um and and alabama did to georgia what they've done to everybody all year um but yeah no those are definitely some good ones uh we talked bowl games last time and the cure bowl was my favorite bowl game uh so i guess we we ran through that but there were some good bowl games as well yeah yeah and i mean it, the the problem was neither the playoff games the semifinals were all that close. <laughs> final wasn't that close either so it's kind of like we can't really add on any since the you know the last time we talked um yeah and that's the thing that's too bad again going back to my my thesis essentially is that we got to expand this thing and I've been kind of writing a lot about that and talking about it a lot and i I know I sound like a broken record but that's the thing is if you get a really good, you're going to get more eyes on a, let's say it's a 16 team playoff and it's an eight, nine matchup. And that eight, nine matchup is a new year six bowl. Instead, more people are going to watch it if it's a technical playoff game. And that's going to be when you're going to get those new fans coming in and checking it out. And you get a sick playoff game, even if it isn't, if you could call it inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, if they don't end up winning a national championship, the fact that it's a playoff game versus it being a bowl game 
I think would be something that would get a lot more uh, buzz and electricity going and getting people a little more interested in the sport. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that premise. Uh, you know, we don't need to, to dredge back up the discussion we had. Last <laughs> time we talked, people probably don't want to hear us go through it again. But, uh, I, I definitely agree in that I think um, a an expanded playoff would be good for the sport. So looking ahead to next year, Joel Klatt, who I'm a fan of his, does a great job, one of the best analysts in college football, and he created his way too early top 10 for t- next season. I'm not sure if you saw this list. I, but I, I haven't seen his. I've seen others. There have been a, a parade of them uh, slowly churning out today. Uh, <laughs> there were a few. Like, no, Brett McMurphy tweeted his out even before last night's game started. Uh, wow. To get in on the really, really way too early. But, um, <laughs> I've seen some. I haven't seen Joel Klatt's, but I, I have seen uh, others that people have put out. Well, who would you – I mean, I guess this is fun topic looking ahead to next year. He has Georgia as number one team in the country. Really? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, part of it will de- depend on, um, you know, who ultimately decides to to go and, and come back since, in theory, everybody who played this season – and I, I know that they won't all, but since they've all gotten their, their free uh, year of eligibility, everybody could come back. Um, but, you know, they they look different once um, once they got that – once they got their new quarterback in there, who's the guy who transferred from USC whose name escapes me at the moment. Daniels or – Yeah, JT Daniels. Yeah. So, you know, once they – you know, once they got JT Daniels in there, uh, after transferring from USC, their offense, it hummed a little bit better. That certainly doesn't surprise me. I mean, conversely, it seems like, you know, I certainly wouldn't be opposed. A lot of other lists I saw had Alabama number one. And I mean, they'll have. Yeah, he's got him the too. Vast, the vast majority of their defense coming back. Um, so, but yeah, you know, it's, it's um, let's see. Can, I got uh, Mark Schleybox here. I can pull up from ESPN. He's got Clemson. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Clemson, Clemson one, Alabama two, Oklahoma three, Georgia four, Ohio State five, and M six, North Carolina seven. Okay, Iowa State eight. Clatt's got North Carolina nine. Really? Yeah, he's got the Canes at eight too. A lot of ACC love. I mean, if De'Eric King can, you know, recover from a torn ACL, and I don't want to make it sound like it's going to be anything easy but it's, right. it's like it's become a lot easier to recover from torn acls than it used to be um but if he you know can recover and that team could that has a chance to be pretty good i don't know if uh the list you've looked at but joel does not have cincinnati as a top 10 team as of right now you know i think most of the ones i saw had them just outside um I actually saw one that had Coastal at 10. I was kind of surprised about oh, that. Oh, wow. I can't remember where. I think it was somebody from the Athletic. I think it might have been Stuart Mandel's, um, but I honestly can't remember. But somebody had Coastal at 10. I was like, it's good to see uh, them getting some respect like that. So, I do think the AP did a pretty good job of respecting group of five schools. They were getting a good amount of love up until we moved into the committee 
polls. And I think part of it also is the fact that some of these other conferences started so late. So the Sun Belt yeah. was playing right away. The American was playing right away. And so we're getting different rankings where they're just kind of giving you the rankings of the teams that were playing at the time. And so as a result, Louisville was like a top 10 or a top 15 team because the ACC was playing before most other conferences. But the good thing to that is I do think it gave Marshall, it gave Louisiana, it gave Coastal. A lot of these schools got that attention. They got into the polls earlier than I don't know if they would have if this was a regular season. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. It was it was good to see that, and it was good to see those group of five leagues get that attention when you know, especially for the first two months, like you said, when the the Big Ten and the Pac twelve weren't playing and things were kind of sporadic. So it was you know, good to see the AAC and the the Sun Belt and even the Mountain West when they came back as well, kind of grab some of those popular uh, TV spots and get recognized for, you know, good football. I feel like a lot of the country watches Maction yeah. on Tuesdays and Wednesdays because, you know, it's, it's football on Tuesday and Wednesday. But um, it was good to see the, the recognition of other group of five leagues. Yeah, 100%. So it seems that every year there are a couple of programs that get voted into the top ten and then they don't quite live up to that billing. And part of it is people want to see that program return. So Miami being in that, I mean, hey, Miami could. Miami could. They could be good next year. We talked about it. Texas is the school that I feel like every single year you see Texas top 10. Texas is turning the corner this year. Maybe they hold off on that with a new coach, though. Oh, um, no, I, I, <laughs> I feel like people have already said... You know, between the the athletes they have and the guys coming back, and <laughs> the, assuming that Steve Sarkeesian will be able to work his magic just like he did as offensive coordinator for Alabama, that uh, you know they'll be back. And I can't remember. I think a bunch of the lists I saw had them in the top fifteen or, or top twenty. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't envision the Texas hype going anywhere anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. Well, it was interesting last week when we chatted. Tom Herman had just gotten booted and that happened live while we were on the air. And one of my initial reactions was, Oh, maybe, maybe they are going to be able to pull in urban Meyer. Urban Meyer might be moving into the NFL here soon. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really interesting to see if, I mean, cause he's had so much success in college and if if he would be like a a Pete Carroll type who could also have the same kind of uh, success in the NFL, or whether it might turn out to be more like a you know Saban struggled in the NFL and then went yeah. to college, and, and you know, uh, you know, the, trying to think of other successful college coaches who, who gave it a run in Harbaugh, Harbaugh, yep, in uh, the NFL, and and so it would be. You know, it will certainly make watching Jacksonville a lot more interesting because there's just the added storyline of, you know, if if that turns out to to be the case and he's the next coach there, can he can he have the same amount of success, or maybe not even the same amount, but can he have success in the NFL like he had in college? Because you know, I I think it is roster construction's a little bit different, you know, management's a little bit different because 
you know, when, when he had a role in Florida and when he had a role in Ohio State, like it's pretty easy. You know, we, we, we talked about uh, all the success Alabama's had. And if you've stayed there three years, you won a national title. Like the, the thread I read that on, uh, people were basically saying, well, you know, that should recruit itself for Alabama. Like, if you want to win a national title, come to Alabama, stay three years, at least collect yeah. your ring and, and go home. You know, when he had it rolling at, at Florida and Ohio State, it was kind of the same thing. And, you know, there's there's not really that same kind of recruiting. I mean, there is for free agent pitches and things like that. But, you know, it's not kind of the same thing. You can't just sort of hoard the talent. You have to kind of figure it out, and you got to draft it, and then you got to make good free agent moves. So. I would certainly watch with a, a keener interest to see if, you know, he can be a success in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I will say that it's less work in terms of you. I mean, obviously, not to say that it's not a busy job, but I've I've heard a lot from coaches in college basketball about how a lot of guys want to, they sort of view the NBA as like, you don't have to do that year-round recruiting. It's less work. You're more game planning, and obviously, it is a lot of work. You got to lead a team and all everything of that nature. But the recruiting is just so time-consuming. Yeah, yeah, that is that is certainly true. And I know that was one of the things that led him to kind of, you know, take his health break between Florida yeah. and Ohio State. And it, it will be less. Um, so we'll see. Like, I don't want to root against a guy. Um, so I. Well, you are a Michigan fan, so that's true. Um, <laughs> like I don't. I, I mean, he's never done anything to me personally, so I don't have any reason to outwardly root against him. I just will be really interested to see. I mean, it certainly seems like you know his his offense has kind of it's become more popular in the NFL. You know, guys like Lamar Jackson and and, and Tua and, you know, Patrick Mahomes running, uh, can do a little bit of running. So it's certainly, I feel like, would be an easier transition for him now than it would have been 10 years ago, you know, after he'd, been, after he'd gone through Utah and after he'd been at Florida. You know, it seems like the NFL is more open to that, that spread type of offense. Um, so we'll see. It, it will certainly make the – if that happens, it will certainly make the NFL season worth watching. I mean, more so than it will be an added storyline. As you were discussing Urban Meyer's offense, I had a light bulb go off in my head. And there's no sources. I've never heard anything about this. This is just my own thought. What if Tim Tebow was his quarterback's coach? That certainly wouldn't be surprising to me. I feel like he could be a good quarterbacks coach. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess it would be kind of a. Does he want to get into coaching? Yeah. Does, he, does he like what he's doing with the SEC network? But yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly you know he knows the Urban Meyer system. He's he it's very evident that he relates well to people. I think if coaching was something you wanted to do, I think he certainly could be good for it. Yeah, I think he. I think that'd be a really good fit. I just. Uh, I never thought of him about coaching and never heard anything about him with coaching. But it's like, man, why haven't I ever heard about Tim Tebow want to be a coach? Now, granted, he's so young still that I think he's wanted to keep these dreams of playing professional sports. And he, even if he's just a minor league baseball player, I haven't heard anything about him baseball-wise because there was no minor league baseball this past year. And I don't know if that's something he's going to want to continue. But I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to the guy. He just loves playing baseball. And I don't think 
to him, it's like, I think a lot of people sort of look at him and say like, oh, he's delusional or he's selfish or whatever. I think he just likes playing sports and playing minor league baseball. That's such a grind in itself. You have to really love the game in order to stick with those, you know, cheap motels that you stay at all the travel and everything that you kind of have to do at the minor league level. He seems to be enjoying it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you know, people tell you all the time, life is too short to do something you don't love doing. Yeah. So, on, on the flip side, you might as well do what you love. And if if he loves playing baseball, for I mean, it's not like he needs the money. It's not like he needs the the fame or the adulation or anything like that. Just does it because he likes it. You know, you certainly tip your hat to that. And not, like I said, you mentioned this; it wasn't something I had considered. Uh, I'd be really interested to see if he, he's. If coaching is something that he wants to do now, if it's something he wants to do later, um, certainly uh, on an Urban Meyer staff would be a good way to get into the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like it'd probably be more likely to see him at the college level first if he were to move into coaching. But I think he'd be a, a terrific quarterback's coach or an offensive coordinator someday. Yeah. Yeah. So it. it you know, it's something I'd kind of forgotten about as you were talking about uh, playing baseball. I'd kind of forgotten what had happened to him. Um, so, you know, certainly something to keep an eye on. You, you're adding, you know, NFL storylines here that I hadn't even considered. <laughs> well, we'll have plenty to keep an eye out for over the uh, several months leading up to the NFL draft. But, Andrew, you know what? We're finally officially in college basketball mode now. At least I am. Yeah, I mean, it, for I, I feel like for a lot of your other average people, there's uh, usually posts that come out the Monday after the Super Bowl, and they're like, welcome, co- uh, welcome, uh, sports fan, here's what you've missed so far in college basketball. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, like you said, we're, we're transitioning here to college basketball now that it's been weird because there have been conference games going on for a while already, and I feel like in a normal calendar year, this is... You know, normally the, the second week or so of when conference play is starting. But we got a big one tonight in the Big Ten, Michigan and Wisconsin. A uh, big one in the ACC with Duke and Virginia Tech. And, uh, man, Gonzaga just keeps rolling along. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I haven't watched as much as I would have liked. I do think the fact that it started late and it's been just kind of a weird season been a weird year in terms of sports in general scheduling has been kind of all over the place and i'm curious though what did you think about having six nfl games over the weekend because i actually by the end of it i felt like it was a little excessive i didn't need that many you know it's weird um like i i know you couldn't do this it would be ideal if you could basically say we're gonna have 13 playoff teams and the league that merits a seventh playoff team will get it, um, because it's it's weird to me. And I know that the football team won their division, and there's not a whole lot you can do when a, a division is bad. Um, but like, it's weird to me that the Dolphins at ten and six missed the playoffs, whereas in the NFC the Bears got in at eight and eight. And I know that's just the way it's going to be some years, but it, you know. Were the Bears really deserving of a playoff spot? And I don't know, maybe. Just, just kind of the way they finished the year, I, I don't know. No, they weren't. <laughs> and, you know, like, I mean, the the seventh-seeded team, the Colts, you know, they made, a, they made a run at it. And 
Um, you know, if Rodrigo Blankenship makes his field goal early on and things happen a little bit differently, maybe they beat the Bills uh, or at least force overtime. On the one hand, it was fun to have football all night, all day and all night. On the other hand, I won't argue with you that it seemed excessive. Um, six, is, it's just, it's a lot, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure people said the same thing about the, you know, 16-team baseball playoffs, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I felt I don't want to keep baseball playoffs expanded either. That's a conversation for another time. But I do think that it's kind of like you start entering into that NBA territory where the NBA conversation has become, well, let's have a top 16 playoff instead of East versus West. The only reason why people talk about that is because the playoff fields become so diluted that you're having in the NBA – more teams making the playoffs than missing the playoffs. And so what you end up doing is you're getting three teams in the playoffs. You're not going to have 16 great teams with winning records every year. And if you do, it means that the bottom of the league was really bad. So with the NFL, that's kind of like we're, we're having this conversation now in terms of adding that extra playoff team. We wouldn't have it at all if we had never, if we had just kept it at what it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I wholeheartedly agree. So, I mean, like conversely, would the, you know, would the, since the, se- I mean, the seventh seed, I guess in the, both seven seeds, I guess, fared fairly well. I mean, the Bears were, were in it. It was not all that of an entertaining game to watch, although if you watch the Nickelodeon broadcast, <laughs> it sounded like it was, but. It was, yeah. Um, you know, the, the field wouldn't really have been any different. I mean, both seven seeds lost. Uh, you know, I guess it would have been a shame if tiebreakers had converted and the Dolphins had gotten in instead of the Browns, since the Browns ended up beating the Steelers. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm kind of indifferent. Like, if they if they go back to 12 for next year, I mean, I, I know that that's not going to happen because they, they right. found ways to make more money, and now they're you know going to add a 17th game to the season and and things like that. But it, it you know, if they, if they keep it fine. I'm honestly indifferent. Yeah, I think the main thing is that I just think about it since I'm podcasting on it. It's like, okay, well, I got to watch all six of these games. And it's like a 10-hour thing both days. And then you have an hour in between. If I wasn't doing a podcast, I'd be like, all right, take it all cart. Don't have to watch all the games. Technically, I don't have to. But um, I just, I think I would, at this point, I, I really only need to see four in a weekend and I can watch college hoops the rest of the weekend. I can watch, you know, CBS All Access, you name it. But I think four is perfect. Two on Saturday, two on Sunday. And with the, I think the other thing that happens when you're going to have six games, they're not all going to be great games. You're going to get a couple of crummy ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's even like as we're talking about, you know, how do you fix the college football playoff? Um, you know, on the one hand, you'd say, well, if you had more teams, odds are like those opening round games aren't going to be as close. But it's not like the playoffs, you know, the semifinals have been close up to this point. We, we talked about that last time, too. Like they were yeah. Three one-score games. So, you know, it felt – you're right. It felt a little bit tedious. Like, yeah. um, I don't know. If, if I had a vested interest in the NFL, I mean, if the Lions were better, I'd probably care one way or the other. Like, if they'd have fought for the, the seventh seed, I'd have been like, yeah, 17 <laughs> in the playoffs, great. <laughs> But otherwise, it's just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. 
Yeah, I feel ya. Andrew, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for coming back. Have to do it again soon. College basketball next time. How can people find what you're working on right now? Uh, you know, you can find uh links to, to general written stuff, omaha.com. That's for the Omaha World Herald. You can follow me on Twitter, ASTEM00, uh, where I put out thoughts that are sometimes worth sharing with everybody. And, uh, <laughs> and I appreciate you having me on, Jack. Always good to talk with you, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. That concludes my conversation about college football today with Andrew Stem. A lot of fun getting into all that stuff with NFL Draft and seeing where this Alabama team stacks up historically. Great episode. We got another good one coming out. Another great one, I should say. Jordan Morandini and I will be live Thursday afternoon around 4.30 p.m. Central Time. You're not going to want to miss that. Be a Facebook, Twitter, YouTube Live. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in the Apple Podcast Spotify app. Uh, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We would love to get some kind reviews coming in for this show. We do a lot of great boosting the show in the Apple Podcast algorithm. Subscribe to my newsletter on jackvita.com, writing all kinds of stuff over on the site. If you want to catch our live stream, go to facebook.com slash jackvitashow or at jackvitashow on Twitter and Instagram youtube.com slash jack vita show once again thank you to all of you for listening i'll be back very soon excited to talk nfl playoffs it'll be a lot of fun until then i am jack vita bring in the dancing lobsters <laughs>